Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 32. Today, the Midtown Power Outage and Steam Explosions. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. The top story this week has to be the blackout that hit West Manhattan. Coming 42 years to the day after the 1977 blackout I told you about on last week's show, this year's power outage was much less dramatic and lasted only a few hours. The effect of the outage was amplified by the region it impacted from West Midtown to Lincoln Center and down into Hell's Kitchen. The density of people packed into that area at 7 p.m. on a Saturday night rivals the populations of many small cities. At its peak, Con Ed reported 73,000 customers without power, but the term customers is a difficult one to pin down when it comes to power distribution. Sometimes it refers to an entire building, and sometimes it refers to individual apartments, so the total number of people impacted is always much higher. The biggest impact was on the MTA system, which was plunged into darkness even though the third rail, used to power trains, was still electrified. Videos taken by passengers showed trains full of riders emptying into dark stations, and many of the elevator rescues during the power outage took place in the subway system. Buildings with modern elevator systems typically have battery backups that allow the elevator to descend to the lobby and open its doors, preventing people from becoming stuck inside. Above ground, traffic lights were out at midtown intersections, sometimes where billboards went eerily dark, and Broadway shows, theaters, and a concert at Madison Square Garden were all canceled and the attendees poured out into the streets. Here's NYPD Commissioner O'Neill describing the scene. Good afternoon, everybody. So at 1847, that's when we were first notified. Uh, we did a uh, mobilization, so we brought additional uh, police officers into the affected areas. Initially, it was the 2-0 uh, parts of Mid and parts of Midtown South. Uh, that composed of, at the end, ended up deploying over 400 police officers, 16 of them being from our emergency services unit. They were part of the elevator task force. We brought in also an additional 100 traffic agents. 9-11, uh, initially, there were, there was a little bit of a problem. There was a little bit of a backup, uh, more than a 30-second delay, but that was cleared up by 20 hundred hours. As the mayor spoke about, there were two trains that uh, needed assistance getting into the stations, one being 86 in Broadway and, and one being 59 in Columbus, and that was affected about 2,800 passengers. Despite Commissioner O'Neill's assertion that 100 traffic officers were dispatched to the blackout area, city residents were still seen directing traffic in dark intersections hours after the beginning of the power outage. I'm not, it, it's an emergency situation. Do, do I want uh, civilians directing traffic? Probably not, but if that's the way we can clear up traffic until we can get there, I appreciate it, but they just have to do it safely. And we, we appreciate their efforts tremendously and stating the obvious, when NYPD arrives, Pass the baton. <laughs> Power began to be restored by 10 p.m. and all areas were back online just before midnight, falling far short of the 12 hours of darkness the entire city experienced in 1977. Con Ed CEO John McAvoy later described the root cause of the power outage as a failure of both the primary and backup protection systems at a power substation at 64th Street and West End Avenue leading to power outages once the system was interrupted by a subsequent substation at 49th Street. The city had harsh words for Mayor de Blasio, who was pursuing a presidential run in Iowa, where he has been polling at 0 to 1 percent among likely Iowa voters. His Midwest trip left a vacuum of leadership that City Council Speaker Corey Johnson skillfully stepped in to fill. 
Johnson took to Twitter and provided level-headed and informative updates throughout the night that earned him praise while de Blasio was still searching for a last-minute red-eye flight out of Chicago. Although the blackout wasn't caused by a spike in electricity usage, the heat is still on in the city, with daily high temps rising into the 90s. In response, cooling centers have been opened across the city in senior centers, public housing, and public libraries. On July 18th, Mayor de Blasio signed a local state of emergency that calls on city government buildings and all office buildings over 100 feet tall to conserve energy and set their thermostats to no lower than 78 degrees. Temperatures are set to rise and humidity will increase, leading to heat indexes over 100 degrees before rain arrives on July 22nd. You can do your part by turning off your air conditioner when leaving your home and using public transportation instead of driving to keep the air quality clear during the heat wave. If you'll be opening your windows to get some ventilation, you can install safety devices called vent locks for sash windows or metal clips for sliding windows that make sure the windows can't be forced all the way open from the outside. You can find the links to both of these types of devices in the show notes. Five years ago on July 17, 2014, Eric Garner dies after being put in a chokehold by NYPD officers. The city medical examiner's office concluded that the methods used to detain him during arrest, combined with his respiratory health, led to his death. A chokehold is a prohibited procedure for the NYPD to use, but video from the scene clearly showed Officer Daniel Pantaleo with his arm around Eric's neck. The incident ignited protests across the city and the country, and Garner's dying words of, I can't breathe, became a rallying cry of the Black Lives Matter movement. In 2015, the city reached a settlement with the Garner family in which they received $5.9 million in response to their wrongful death claim. An investigation determined that charges would not be filed against the police officers involved. In 2014, the U.S. Department of Justice began an investigation into the actions of Daniel Pantaleo, who was seen in eyewitness video putting Garner in a chokehold, and in 2019, the Department of Justice now overseen by Trump-appointed Attorney General William Barr, announced that they will not pursue civil rights charges against Pantaleo, a decision they chose to announce one day before the anniversary of Garner's death. Twelve years ago on July 18, 2007, a steam pipe explodes near Grand Central, sending debris flying and disrupting Midtown during evening rush hour. The explosion occurred around 6 p.m. during a Wednesday rush hour in a busy part of the city at 41st and Lexington, but thankfully there was only one death and two serious injuries. Lois Balmerich from New Jersey died from a heart attack as she fled the explosion, and a tow truck driver, Gregory McCullough, was badly burned as he and his passenger, Judith Bailey, were driving over the spot where the scalding steam exploded from the street, and their tow truck dropped into the 35-foot crater caused by the explosion. The steam pipe had been installed in 1924, but a recent repair may have led to the explosion. Excess sealant from the repair had clogged valves that are needed to drain excess water from the pipe. Water condensation inside the pipe caused a water hammer effect that burst the pipe due to a sudden increase in pressure. The highly pressurized steam erupted from the ground, with a column of steam rising higher than the nearby Chrysler building. In addition to dirt and debris, 
The steam was also catapulting asbestos insulation into the air, making a detailed cleanup process necessary. Tests showed that the asbestos debris was not airborne, but anyone who came in contact with the dust falling at the site needed to be hosed down in a decontamination procedure, and workers wore breathing protection. Another steam explosion occurred 11 years and one day later near the Flatiron Building on July 19, 2018. The steam pipe exploded near the Flatiron Building, causing a large crater at 141 Fifth Avenue. The explosion happened at 6.40 a.m., which thankfully meant that few pedestrians were in the area and it lessened the number of injuries. Only five people suffered minor scrapes and bruises as they fled or evacuated the 28 surrounding building. Asbestos insulation was again found present in debris and dust that settled onto building surfaces, but no asbestos was detected in the air. The cleanup process took more than a week, with Con Ed and the FDNY coordinating to wash down exposed surfaces of buildings while collecting the runoff and filtering out any asbestos contamination. All of that is to say, be aware of your surroundings during this time of year, as two of the city's steam explosions have happened during just this week in history. If you see any bulging pavement or steam escaping through cracks in the ground, stand clear and call 911 to report a dangerous condition. City Bike announced they will be expanding their coverage area over the next five years that will eventually triple the number of bikes to 40,000 and double the coverage area to include the Bronx for the first time and further expand into Brooklyn and Queens. You may be surprised to know that ride-sharing company Lyft actually owns City Bike after it purchased the parent company in 2018, and City Bikes are now available through the Lyft app. There was no news on when the pedal assist e-bikes would return to the fleet after being taken out of service in May. The e-bikes will likely become more necessary as the system expands and if outer boroughs have a greater distance between docking stations. Five years ago on July 22, 2014, two Berlin artists replaced the American flags on the Brooklyn Bridge with all-white replicas. After confusion and an extensive investigation into the flag replacement stunt, Mieszke Leinkoff and Matthias Wernke came forward in August to admit they were responsible and had meant the act to be in recognition of the bridge's German-born designer, John Roebling, on the 145th anniversary of his death. The 20-foot by 11-foot flags were hand-sewn by the artists and the original flags were carefully preserved and returned to the city. The incident was the focus of a later art project by the duo called Symbolic Threats that explored the response to their stunt, where the all-white flags were viewed with confusion, apprehension, and an emergency response. Ninety-seven years ago on July 27, 1922, the Hess family installs a mosaic at 7th Avenue and Christopher Street, marking what is probably the smallest plot of land in New York City. The Hess Triangle is a small piece of land that was mistakenly left out of expansion plans when the city acquired private property along 7th Avenue under eminent domain in the 1910s. A five-story building owned by David Hess used to stand at the location, but was demolished by the city to expand 7th Avenue. Since ownership of the Triangle had remained with the Hess family, they installed a mosaic in the ground to mark that they had not surrendered the space for public use. 
The mosaic can still be seen on the southwest corner of 7th Avenue and Christopher Street in the West Village, outside the entrance to Village Cigars, which acquired the property from David Hess's descendants in 1938. A look back at some AGBC history. Seven years ago, on July 26th, we were looking at photos of a derecho storm hitting New York City. The storm caused a dramatic, apocalyptic shelf cloud that drew across the city like a dark blanket in the sky. Two years ago, on July 27th, we had a bit of fun at Governor Cuomo's expense after he suggested that an Adopt-A-Station program where companies could sponsor repairs at subway stations in exchange for naming rights. Check out our name suggestions, like renaming the Northern Boulevard E-Station to the Quilted Northern Bath Tissue Station and finding an equally bathroom-related sponsor for the Flushing Avenue Station. And eight years ago, on July 28th, demolition begins at the Mars Bar. It had been shuttered on July 18th for health code violations, but on July 28th, workers began dismantling the red-painted concrete blocks that had made up the front of the dive bar since the 1980s. Coming up next on the Great Big City. This woman bought what she thought was a watermelon, but you won't believe what happened next. <clears throat> Coming up. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? I said no already. Coming up next. Homeowners in Oswego, New York can't believe this one weird trick. Other news websites are quick to trick their readers with clickbait headlines and undercover ads, but a great big city is dedicated to keeping the news straightforward and factual. If a great big city has kept you informed over the years, make a contribution at agreatbigcity.com slash support. And if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to view rates and learn more. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? Oh, not again. Park of the Day. Father Demo Square at 6th Avenue, Bleecker Street, and Carmine Street in the West Village. Seating areas and a feature fountain make this triangle a quiet place to relax, even with busy 6th Avenue running along the east side of the park. It also serves as a makeshift outdoor dining area for restaurants nearby, with pigeons enjoying any leftover pizza crust that may fall to the ground. In parks events, celebrate Open Garden Day with the New York City Parks Department's Green Thumb Program, where your local community gardens will open their doors and host fun events and information sessions. There will be giant board games to play at Melrose New Generation Community Garden in the Bronx and a composting demonstration at Patchen Square Community Garden in Bed-Stuy. You can learn how to make all-natural bug spray at Hill Street Garden in Staten Island. Visit the link in the show notes to see the full list of open gardens across the city. And now let's see what kind of garden parties our robot friend has found this weekend on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Robin is playing the Barclays Center on Friday, July 19th. Chemis and Cloak are playing St. Vitus Bar on Friday, July 19th. Acid Dad, Static Static, and The Values are playing Babies All Right on Friday, July 19th. Billie Eilish is playing Radio City Music Hall on Friday, July 19th. The Mooney Suzuki, the Negatones, and the Realistics are playing Mercury Lounge on Friday, July 19th. Mall Bloom and Adult Mom are playing Rough Trade on Friday, July 19th. Bane's World, 
Janine's, Lost Wilds, Miranda, and The Beat, The Advertisers, The Feelies, and The Mystery Lights are playing the Stillwell stage at the Coney Island Music Festival on Saturday, July 20th. The Marias are playing the Bowery Ballroom on the Lower East Side on Saturday, July 20th at 8 p.m. Joe Josiwa and the Bells are playing Forest Hills Stadium in Forest Hills on Sunday, July 21st at 7 p.m. Twice is playing Prudential Center on Sunday, July 21st at 7 p.m. The Proto Men and TWRP are playing elsewhere on Monday, July 22nd. Godsmack and New Year's Day are playing the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side on Tuesday, July 23rd at 8 p.m. Chase Atlantic is playing Webster Holland on Tuesday, July 23rd at 8 p.m. Elvis Costello and the Imposters and Blondie are playing Forest Hills Stadium on Wednesday, July 24th. Somersault, Dante Elefante, and Motel Radio are playing Warsaw on Wednesday, July 24th. Waves, Shark Mavin, and Surfboard are playing Industry City Courtyard on Wednesday, July 24th. Iggy Azalea is playing the Bowery Ballroom on the Lower East Side on Wednesday, July 24th at 7 p.m. Michael Bublé is playing Madison Square Garden on Wednesday, July 24th at 8 p.m. And Kurt Vile, Kate LeBon, and Dinosaur Jr. are playing Summer Stage NYC on Thursday, July 25th. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. In 2016, the MTA's 6,418 subway cars traveled a total of 358 million miles. The extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history, a record high of 104 degrees on July 21, 1977, and a record low of 55 degrees on July 20, 1890. Weather for the week ahead, Highs hitting 99 degrees on Saturday and Sunday, but with a bit of rain settling in on Monday and Tuesday. Now that summer has arrived, so have warnings about high UV exposure. For the next week, four out of seven days are rated very high on the UV scale. Now is the time to start protecting your skin and eyes from ultraviolet radiation. Look for a skin protectant that is labeled as broad spectrum and at least SPF 50, and wear sunglasses with both UVA and UVB protection. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Player FM, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Our intro and outro music is Start the Day by Lee Rosevere, and the concert calendar music is from jukedeck.com. Thanks for being part of a great big city. <laughs> yeah, no.